I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff. And I'm Matt Bernico. This week on the show, we've got Jim Hodgson back on to explain the ongoing wave of protests in Haiti. In case you've never caught a Jim episode before, you're in for something really cool. Jim has devoted a big portion of his life to solidarity movements, um, working a lot with the United Church of Canada. He spent time and made connections throughout the Caribbean and throughout Latin America. Um, One place he definitely knows quite a bit about is Haiti. So it's very helpful to get his perspective on the current situation there as it relates to, uh, you know, big ideas like solidarity and imperialism. Before we go right to Jim, though, uh, let me give you the quick Magnificast sales pitch. So if you like the Magnificast, you can support us financially by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Magnificast. When you subscribe, you get access to all kinds of cool things like early episodes, you know, sometimes. You get access to our Patreon-only current events podcast called The Lock-In. We make a lot of dumb jokes and talk about current events. It's pretty fun. You also get an invite to our exclusive Discord channel where we talk about all kinds of things and, you know, make friends with other people who listen. It's a good time. And uh, even if you subscribe to the highest levels, you get bonus merch like some cool stickers. Um, So that's that's what you should do. I mean, if you really like what we're doing, it would be great if you give us a few bucks. Um, That being said, though, if you can't support us right now, we totally understand it is a global pandemic where unemployment is extremely high. We totally get it. It's fine. Don't stress out about it. Um, so if you can't, you could also just like head over to iTunes and leave us a nice review or say something nice about us on Twitter. Don't say anything mean about us on Twitter. That's so important. All right. On to the episode. Welcome back to the show, Jim. For regular listeners of the Magnificast, Jim will not be a stranger. He's been on the show quite a bit. We like to have him on to help us understand what's going on in other parts of the world, where Jim has had a lot of experience in his recently previous role as a partnership coordinator at the United Church of Canada. So if you listen to the show for a long time, we've talked in the past about uh, Venezuela and Bolivia in particular um, a few times, and we encourage you to check that out. Lots of great material on um, specific historical events there, but other things too. And this week we have him back to talk to us about what's happening in Haiti. Jim, for people who maybe haven't heard the show or haven't heard you on it before, could you say something a little bit about yourself? Who are you? Why are you invested in what's happening in, in somewhere like Haiti? Yeah, thanks. It's, it's good to be back with you, uh, uh, Matt and Dean. And uh, I um, uh, I have uh, I'm a, a background in journalism and, uh, and a fascination with Haiti that goes back almost 40 years. Uh, and so I... I, I it's. I was had a chance to go to the Dominican Republic in 1983 and uh, spent six weeks there. And the people I hung out with were mostly sugarcane cutters um, in a rural area, and they taught me um, about uh, the movement to get rid of Duvalier, the dictator at the time, uh, uh, the various ways that the, the they faced the opposition of the Reagan administration in those years, and. Um, and all of that, and it just gave me a real drive to understand better what was going on. So the next year, in 1984, I went and, and had a short visit in Haiti, two weeks, again during the Duvalier period. And uh, uh, and so, you know, when you work under the conditions of a dictatorship as a journalist, you have to be a bit careful. And so, you know, I was with uh, religious folk, um, people who were doing kind of traditional charity work for the most part, but 
through that, I found people that I could talk with about uh, the political situation in both countries, both the Dominican Republic and Haiti. So, and then now, like, uh, there's been there's been a lot of things that have happened over over the years, and uh, lots of uh, in attempts to try to do things better. And and now I'm kind of like I'm a middle aged white guy, um, sort of semi retired. Um, you know, I retired officially from the United Church of Canada, but uh, but still very much an activist. And um, but I'm very conscious in my old age of of the the errors of the past and of the ways that Haiti is portrayed in international media and discourse. You know, the kind of low point of Trump making a very stupid comment about about Haiti. Uh, but then, the, even those of us who are well intentioned, we use words like resilient and brave and creative. Because all of that just masks um, power relationships, colonialism, imperialism, um, and most Haitians are impoverished because some other people are rich. Thanks, Jim. We really appreciate your life experience and uh, you know what your eye toward international struggles brings to our podcast. Um, well, we can start here. Um, right now, Haiti is in the midst of a mass protest against the current president, Jovenel Moise. There's a lot of different reasons for the opposition, um, corruption, as well as illegitimately extending his term being central to the impetus behind the protests, though saying there's just a protest seems to really understate the story uh, quite a bit. So, Jim, can you tell us what's going on currently with these protests in Haiti? Yeah, it's uh, we can get into this a bit, but there's, uh, you know, what's, what's been going on very actively since the end of 2019 is a series of protests. Um, they actually like some people would say no it was really 2018 and others would say no it goes back to 2011 with the the election of the previous president i mean neither the current president jovenel Moise, or his predecessor uh michel martelly were um uh, martelly i should say uh were you know elected in the best of circumstances um anyway so there's been kind of uh persistent protest really clear since the end of 2019 um and then in the past uh two months since the beginning of the new year uh very large demonstrations um you know provoking a situation that uh feels like the edge of an explosion um there have been you know very dramatic points uh in september the head of the uh the bar association the lawyers in port-au-prince was was murdered he was a noted uh, constitutional scholar. Um, this is blamed on on the government. There have been a series of kidnappings, and these are, you know, not political kidnappings. You could say no. They're just they're they're random street kidnappings for ransom, um, and those have uh, touched uh, countless people. Now, um, the niece of a Haitian Methodist uh, minister that I know uh, was one of the people kidnapped, and, and she was murdered. Um, so, so that lack of security is sort of folded into the political, uh, um, anger, um, Jovenel Moise, uh, is considered to have over, overextended his, uh, period of constitutional authority by, you know, he, he claims he has another year, uh, but it's because of the way that the, the 2000, like 2016, election was uh was delayed so people uh people who oppose him say that the, the constitutional mandate is um a given period and just because he started late doesn't mean that he can tag it on at the end and they they go back actually to historical president where precedent where uh, other presidents who've um uh you know been uh, interrupted in the midst of their their term uh, by a coup and then get power again um I've been told, no, you can't extend your period just because the military took over. So, you know, th this is this uh, might not have been such an issue had Moise not been such a, a terrible president. So, um, yeah, so we, we can talk a bit more about about that. And, you know, but, but, you know, we're kind of talking about a period since 2011 that has antecedents before that, too. Yeah, thanks. That helps a lot, Jim, to contextualize what's going on. It's hard to hear, obviously. It sounds like a very awful situation, and uh, we've just been seeing it online, basically tons of people in the streets calling attention to those kinds of things, kidnappings, unrest, uh, government corruption, etc. 
And I want to return to uh, that resistance movement in a moment, and especially the maybe uh, the role of religious and Christian people in particular in that resistance. But perhaps we could spend a little bit of time also contextualizing this moment in a longer story about Haiti. Uh, the country has a long history of revolt and opposition to colonial rule first, going, of course, back to the Haitian Revolution at the turn of the 18th century, still a very important event in, in the history of liberation movements. Uh, how could we understand what's going on in Haiti now in light of that that long history of kind of uh, throwing off colonial rule and thinking through what it means to to live on their own on their own terms. Yeah, thanks. It, it is important to to look back. Uh, it's an inspiring story. I mean, Haiti uh, very very shortly after the French Revolution of the um, uh, in 1791, the the slaves uh, rose up and began a revolutionary process that uh, threw out the colonial. Uh, power in uh, 1804 and I sometimes uh, sometimes understand it as you know people who were enslaved looked at what was going on in France that uh, liberté égalité fraternité and they said hey you want you've got that we want some of that and so the revolution began and the, the slaves freed themselves um, they were visionaries and they weren't always united and there were problems that followed, but there were also some very good leaders along the way. And so one of them was a, a man named Jean-Pierre Boyer, who was uh, the president who in 19, sorry, 1822 united Haiti with the Spanish colony at the east end of the, of the island, Hispaniola. So um, so Haiti took over the Spanish colony and freed the slaves. That's the, the thing to, to bear in mind about that. Uh, the white landowners in the, this old Spanish colony weren't so favorable, and eventually, in 1844, uh, they threw uh, the Haitians out, and uh, the Dominican Republic re received its independence from but by throwing out the Haitians rather than throwing out the Spaniards. And so, the, this this is still a problem in the whole um, uh, Dominican-Haitian set of relations. But I've gone down a uh, a bit of a, 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 a I, I've gone off topic a bit with that comment, but. But, the, but again, going back to what was happening in Haiti, that 1804 triumph also inspired Olivar and uh, San Martin and the others who, who led anti-colonial anti movements in, in Latin America. Anyway, uh, but, but with all of that, that, that inspiration, um, no other countries uh, established relations with Haiti after its independence until the, the Vatican was the first, I think, 1860, and then the United States during the Civil War uh, in 1862. So they were the first two. And so then after that, uh, other countries began to uh, develop relationships. Um, but, but Haiti was, was punished and isolated. France uh, demanded repayment for uh, the loss of its colony, um, the loss of the slaves, um, and, you know, it was, some some say that uh, the Haiti has uh, never ceased to pay its supposed debt to France um, by by the way th that things have unfolded since then. So like Haiti, kind of in that isolation, there were good moments and bad moments. Uh, there were various dictatorships. There was a long occupation by the United States from 1915 to 1934. Um, there's a brilliant rebel leader who's uh, remembered fondly by people now, whose name was. Charlemagne Peralt, um, and uh, so so like through that history, there there are high points and low points, um, heroes, um, people who who would be the opposite of that. Uh, maybe you know to to move us along a bit. You know, eighteen or sorry, nineteen fifty seven. Uh, a, a medical doctor named uh, Francois Duvalier took over and. Um, he ruled as president for life, and when he died, his son um, uh, took over uh, Jean-Claude Duvalier, uh, again, as president for life. Uh, and so Duvalier was, the Duvalier regime stayed in power until, um, uh, until 1984, uh, when finally, uh, you know, again, the process of uh, social mobilization uh, led the Duvalier uh, regime to its, uh, to its end, and Duvalier went off to exile in France. Thanks, Jim. That's some really helpful context, I think, uh, to understanding what's what's going on now. Um, you know, when you were talking a minute ago, you mentioned that there are, you know, some uh, some famous and uh, infamous leaders of Haitian history. And I think maybe it'd be a good time now to talk about one of the 
you know, one of those very complex figures. Haiti is famously the first country to have ever elected a liberation theologian as president. I mean, maybe the only one ever. I don't don't really know. Um, But uh, we talked about him on the past in the podcast, Jean-Bertrand Aristide. Um, You know, we've done an episode on him, I think, man, maybe maybe a year ago, but you've actually met him. So better than a podcast. And uh, we know that you have some things to say about uh, the movements behind Aristide and uh, his presidency. You know, his presidency kind of marked the end of the long years of Haiti suffering under the Duvalier dictatorships. But the country has also really struggled to find its feet since he was first elected in the 90s. Um, so, I mean, just generally, what did Aristide as a priest on the left represent for Haiti's struggle for liberation um, after the uh, the initial election? Thanks. It's, it's a complex figure. And uh, I think uh, Jean-Bertrand Aristide is somebody who, who merits uh, more reflection and greater understanding. Um, uh, you know, I had said before I went first to Haiti in 1984 while Duvalier was still in power and had some in, some encounters with with uh, opposition inside and outside of Haiti um, in those years. And I, I had a chance to go back in 1987 during um, like the period after Duvalier's uh, departure and before 1990, there was a series of governments, uh, sometimes military, sometimes not. There were coup regimes and, and whatnot. 1987 was kind of a high point of uh, protest, a bit like now. Um, you know, where there were kind of rotating strikes, general strikes, on again, off again, um, huge pressure for uh, elections and elections soon. And uh, again, this effervescence. Um, and one of the things I did that time was go to the cathedral in, in Port-au-Prince and uh, the, the the people from the base Christian community movement who are in Haiti are called the Tilleglis, the little church, Tilleglis. And uh, they had taken over the cathedral um, to demand release of political prisoners and and uh, elections and what have you. And uh, so I, I spent a day with with, with uh, these young folks and they were so inspiring with their hope. And one of the people who gave them hope was this young priest whose name was Jean-Bertrand Aristide, who was um, preaching liberation theology in the poor neighborhoods around Port-au-Prince. And... Uh, so uh, a few years went by, and by in 1990, I was working in Toronto with the Canadian Council of Churches. And because I had had experience in Haiti before, I was invited to go back to Haiti as an election observer. Um, and so I went with the Caribbean Conference of Churches and the World Conference of Churches, uh, World Council of Churches rather, um, to to observe that December 1990 election. Uh, a few days before the election, we had a chance to meet with uh, with uh, Aristide, who was then a candidate. Um, and uh, one of the things from that conversation that stays with me is uh, a question that came from a Dominican woman who was part of our delegation. And she said, you know, you've got against you the army and the rich people and the you know the united states and the vatican and everybody else you know how do you think you're going to make this work and he said um he said in spanish basta que basta que haga el camino uh it's enough that we make the road um or the way or the path uh so you know he was determined to go forward and his movement was called la valas which means a flood and on the 16th of December, when the election results were coming in, uh, the, the streets were a flood. It was just a massive movement of, of everyone uh, coming out with palm leaves, like on Palm Sunday, and, and celebrating uh, the election of Aristide. And then, <coughs> so he was installed, uh, seven months went by, and he was overthrown in a military coup. And it was, in a way, kind of predictable. Um, and it was in a way uh, necessary, you know, the, the country, not necessary the coup, but necessary that he had been elected and that, that Haitians have that experience of hope because whatever happened afterwards and however screwed up it all got, um, there was a time when Haitians were heard in a coherent, collective way and made their will known to the world. And, and that was that December 1990 election. So he was overthrown in September of 91 and uh, spent time in various places. I met him again in Toronto, uh, I think in about 93, in a meeting with that he had with uh, churches and civil society organizations here. Um, 
determined to go back. Uh, by then, uh, the uh, Reagan-Bush years were over and Bill Clinton was elected president in the United States. Um, and Clinton, we can go into this a bit further later, but, but Clinton kind of had a different view of Haiti um, as a kind of an opportunity for a different kind of development, a different kind of investment. Um, and I think that in those years of uh, sitting at Clinton's knee inside the White House, um, something happened with Aristide. And when he finally was restored with the backing of U.S. troops in 94, my friends in Haiti say the guy who came back wasn't the same one who left. He had a different set of priorities. He um, implemented the International Monetary Fund uh, dictates and what have you. and and. Uh, so some of the people who had been supporters before uh, lost interest and, and stopped uh, supporting him in kind of in that period um, immediately after his return in 94, 95. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, and I know the, the story gets even more complicated um, following that, and that second term is a difficult thing to sort out. Um, we can talk more about that a little bit. Uh, I should say, uh, Matt, Matt mentioned um, Aristide as the first liberation theologian president. There was one other I know of, Fernando Lugo in Paraguay. Uh, other than that, I, I don't know, but <laughs> right. correct, I, was, correct. I was thinking of him too, yeah, Fernando Lugo. And then, yeah, like Aristide, it didn't end well. It was, yeah, 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 also a coup, uh, a coup liberation theologian. There seems to be a theme there. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, so Aristide was deposed in that first coup and then also in a second coup um, later on in the early 2000s in which uh, the U.S. and Canada and France and the U.N. all took part. So, yeah, what that means for Clinton or, or uh, Bush or whatever, I'm not exactly sure, but there's a lot of obviously complicated issues wrapped up there. Um, you've mentioned to us before, some people still support Aristide, others don't, uh, and your partnerships mm -hmm. give you a, a unique window into that situation. Um, you know, we could we could litigate the Aristide presidency, but I'm I'm especially curious about what do those fractures around Aristide's base mean for Haiti's protests now? Is there any kind of connection there? Is that a thing of the past? Uh, what's the lesson? Yeah, I, I think that there's a, uh, it's very important um, that the movements and uh, and their allies overseas uh, find ways of working together to support the people in Haiti as they try to find a way forward. And so one of the things that gives me some hope right now is that some of the divisions uh, from the Aristide years seem to be uh, being overcome. Um, I think it has to be deeper than, than just sort of, you know, bandages, but, but people are, are trying to come together and, uh, and say that things now have to change. So, so like at the time of the 2004 coup, when Aristide was overthrown the second time, there were kind of three sectors that I talked to, and uh, at least two of those have kind of come together now. So the first was the, the business sector who, who uh, was opposed to Aristide, but they had always been opposed to Aristide, uh, you know. But, uh, the second sector was um, a group of... Uh, church people and civil civil society, popular movements who supported Aristide and continue to support Aristide uh, throughout. Um, uh, an important sector, and I, I know people there too. And then the third sector was was that group that I had alluded to before that, that said, you know, uh, whatever Aristide was about, it was no longer about um, advancing the interests of uh, the, the impoverished people of Haiti and uh, you know, uh, he, sh you know, maybe he should have been allowed to serve out his term, but once he was gone, we didn't feel called to uh, bring him back. Um, so those two groups and their allies abroad uh, split into two groups, and you know, there's still skirmishes. I think um, hard points uh, amongst us, but I think that what is happening right now in Haiti kind of calls us to um, come together. And so when you look at the statements that are coming out of Haiti and who's signing them and who, you know, um, they, they seem to represent the, the, the highest level of unanimity, at least between those, those two sectors of the popular movement that had been divided um, pretty much since 2004. They're calling for, <coughs> for a new way forward, some sort of um, um, unity 
there's different words for it. And people have said different things. But one of the phrases I liked was like uh, passerelle in French, which is kind of like a gangway, you know, what you get on and off a ship from, that kind of thing. So like a, a bridge to get to um, something, some new elections or some new system, some new arrangement. Um, yeah. So that's the, so that's, I think the the hope that that comes from those two sectors anyway the 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 popular movement that supported Aristide the popular movement that opposed Aristide maybe there's some coming together right now I hope so yeah I hope so too that's some really helpful context to the story well I think that um, maybe we can move the conversation uh, toward uh, what's happening right now in Haiti um, I think that I've most uh, head on experienced what's happening in Haiti just via online um, I've seen like a lot of pictures a lot of video on Twitter, wherever. And there's some really fascinating and uh, provoking images and videos of protesters carrying crosses um, with the flags of the United States, of France, and Canada on the beams, uh, symbolizing, you know, the international imperialists crucifying the people of Haiti. I mean, the symbolism is uh, hard to miss. Yeah. That being the case, what's the role of international capital uh, and its interest in Haiti? Like, how does Moise relate to those imperial powers in the world? Yeah, uh, so Maurice and his predecessor, Michel Martelly, uh, this, these two guys are really what the United States wanted. Um, like since 2011, the, the United States has really had the leaders that it wanted, the, the you know, uh, business people who would be loyal to um, and obedient to the interests of international capital. Um, there's, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of the historic problems in Haiti that 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 we all encountered at, you know, the different times when rebuilding was required, whether in after the coup in '94, or the coup in 2004, or after the earthquake in 2010, was the um, incredible obstinance of the rich people in Haiti. Um, uh, so there are six, you know, mega millionaire billionaires, uh, six wealthy families, and then a few thousand very wealthy uh, enablers. Um, so these were we called them at times morally repugnant elites, uh, MREs. Uh, so, so they have blocked. I'll use the present tense. They have blocked. They block even now. Uh, any meaningful change in Haiti. Um, and they're different from elites in other countries. Elites in other countries, you sort of see them, well, they want to build monuments or better roads or better airport or what have you. No, these guys are just happy with uh, everybody in misery, uh, terrible roads, terrible bridges, uh, infrastructure that doesn't work. It doesn't matter to them. What they want is uh, cheap labor, um, working in sugarcane fields or uh, banana plantations or you know, serving tables in restaurants, uh, and, and the, 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 you know, of all the countries I've ever worked in, I mean, the, the, the wealthiest people in Haiti have been the, the, the absolutely most, uh, rigid in their, um, refusal to have any kind of change and then to use any means possible to block change. Um, so, you know, uh, and, and so you then, then you come around, well, <laughs> these these other people outside the country, the empire builders um, with different ideas. Like, and, and so if I uh, maybe I should go into the uh, the story of the, the Clintons uh, here just just a bit um, because it kind of sets up what's happened since 2011 with these these two presidents. So. Uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton, when they were married in 1975, they had their honeymoon in Acapulco, and then they were invited by a friend of theirs who was a senior executive of Citibank um, to go to Port-au-Prince and see what, what he was doing in Haiti. And uh, so they went, and I think they were kind of uh, taken by the country and really interested and really um it, it really grabs you. I mean, the music, the the history, the art, the stories, the way people uh, paint and talk and sing, and you know the 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 different ways that religion is practiced. Uh, all of that is really exciting, and so the, the Clintons got that, um, but they also got it with this sort of capitalist veneer, and um, 
you know, and Bill in particular talks this kind of populist language, the language of the people and his accent facilitates that. And uh, Hillary does the sort of, you know, a bit more organized, uh, structured. Um, but the two of them together kind of had this notion of Haiti and Haiti could be different. Uh, but none of the, but it had to be different in a capitalist way. So their idea was that it would be kind of a, like a new Taiwan, you know, like this, um, this place for assembly plants. Um, and, and that's what they set out to do in power and out of power during Clinton's presidency and later, uh, you know, and when Hillary Clinton was uh, Secretary of State, then she was in a position to exercise some influence over how things would unfold. Now, we, there were two interim periods. So like Aristide, uh, his first presidency, uh, there was the coup and then he was returned and then, you know, his time ended. And then the guy who followed him was one of his... Uh, uh, his prime minister, in fact, uh, René Préval. And then uh, after uh, after the coup in 2004, there were elections in 2006, and Préval won those elections again and continued as, as president. And, and, and Hillary Clinton did not like Préval, and especially in the period after the earthquake. And there was some fear then that in the period after the earthquake in 2010, there would be a coup. So there wasn't. I mean, I think that's one of the places where... Um, France, Canada, Brazil, and a few of the other um, uh, people around the table said, no, hold on, <laughs> don't do this again. And uh, so then they, she found a different way. And it was kind of like, go for this uh, pop star, uh, Michel Martelly, who was a singer, known as Sweet Mickey. Um, and I mean, he, this guy's so shallow that he built his political movement around his sort of the, the way he looks, you know, he's He's bald or shaves his head, and so the the movement is called Het uh, Calé, uh, which means bald-headed. You know, uh, so this shallow pop star was elected president of Haiti in 2011, but that to be has to be United States. And people in Haiti weren't stupid. People largely boycotted that election. Um, and I mean, there are a whole bunch of other things that went on in Haitian elections. So yeah, we don't have time to go into all the details, but. Like one of the things that kept happening, and I think it was a mistake, was was to, they, the the foreign powers and the Haitian elites prevented the Aristide movement from participating in elections um, until uh, until just I, th I think the 2015 one, um, 2015 2016, and uh, but anyway, so so in those years, people largely boycotted the elections because it didn't seem like any result would be meaningful. So the the turnouts were you know, 20, 25 percent. Uh, but that's how Maitali was elected in 2011. And then uh, Moise, uh, the, the new election for Moise should have been, I think, in 2015, but it didn't, uh, it didn't happen in 2016. Um, and that's why there's this uh, uh, disagreement over when the, how long the period should be, or, or when the election, when the, when the uh, term of office should end. Um, so the, so, and, and so, so, uh, Martelly and, uh, Moise have both, uh, served the interests of the Haitian wealthy class, you know, those six families, the, the, the other few thousand wealthy people and the interests of the United States and its allies and throughout these, uh, this decade now. Uh, but now I think it's come to the end of the, the road. Um, and uh, the, the popular movements are, are able to come together uh, with the churches, the trade unions, um, the academics, and uh, demand an end to, to, to the, 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 these regimes that are imposed by the by the United States with a tiny minority of the voters uh, supporting. Yeah, thanks, Jim. That's helpful. Uh, it's also helpful to bring that in with the context of the Clintons, right? Because I think a lot of people tend to assume interventionist politics are, are kind of uh, for the Republicans or right-wing ideas. But um, yeah, there's this kind of strange way in which uh, liberal politicians and also those... Um, uh, the liberal heart, I guess, <laughs> for the poor yeah. uh, ends up leading to a lot of really damaging situations. Um, 
I don't know. Do you have any impression about that kind of conversation too in Haiti and, and how it relates to the international solidarity movement? Like uh, lots of stuff in the election between Clinton and Trump, kind of litigating her role as Secretary of State. Um, how does all that kind of continue to play into uh, how people are maybe trying to organize in centers of power on behalf of people in Haiti or with them? Yeah, so there's there's kind of multiple layers to that. One of them is like um, around Hillary Clinton and uh, electoral politics in the United States. Like uh, a lot of what is said about Hillary Clinton is um, invented by by Trump and his uh, you know Breitbart and the, those folk. Um, so it's hard. It's very hard to sort out um, the the you know the right wing propaganda from from what really was true. And I think what really was true was kind of liberal go intention, liberal good intentions gone awry. Uh, yeah, and then I and, and then at the same time, um, a lot of us are subject to that. So you know, there's. All, all those NGOs, the Republic of NGOs, people called it after the earthquake. Um, uh, people like Sean Penn, um, the uh, Partners in Health, uh, the you know the big medical uh, enterprise. Um, uh, you know all these people with really good intentions, and even people like me with good intentions. I you know, um, I hope I haven't imper uh, uh, enabled imperialism. Uh, uh, but you know, you kind of look. I kind of, you know, with some honesty, I look back and I think, yeah, the people that we got involved in Haiti with were the institutional churches. Um, through them, connected to the the grassroots community, the ba the base community churches, and and what have you, and all that movement, and I think been attentive to the the tensions between um, the 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 popular church, the of, and the the hierarchy of of the Catholic Church in Haiti and the hierarchy of the Protestant churches, but you know, like it's, it's there's so the, Haiti is uh, filled with stories of people with good intentions who who mess it up badly, and um, uh, and I think it all come, kind of comes back to who are you listening to? Are you listening to anybody? Do you ever listen to the the voices of Haitians? Um, the you know you know it's like some of the do you, like I I I um I don't speak Creole but I've been around it enough that I can kind of sound it out and figure out what's going on and follow and read um read texts in Creole and read other things in French you know it's, it's so I I think I have an idea what's going on you know maybe deluded but but I I think that. If you go in with into Haiti with uh, the idea that you've got the plan that will fix the problem, you're not listening to Haitians. Haitians have all kinds of ideas about how to fix their country. Um, listen to them. That's that's the the starting point. Yeah, that's a good word, um, man. What an instructive thing for people wanting to be in the solidarity movement. Um, it's important to listen to the people on the ground, the voices that are there. Yeah. Well, uh, before we were talking, uh, you mentioned that uh, even very recently. Uh, some of the uh, churches and religious movements from Haiti had been uh, issuing, uh, you know, responses and um, statements on the ongoing protests. Maybe you could talk us through some of those. Um, what are the folks on the ground saying? Well, this again is one of these um, extraordinary moments that I didn't think I would see, uh, where you have the Catholic bishops, um, the, the the men and women religious, uh, the, the priests and nuns and what have you, uh, the Protestant churches, um, including the the Haitian Protestant Federation, which would have been, which would be the more establishment churches, let's put it that way, and the uh, the sort of movement of uh, Pentecostal and evangelical churches uh, that aren't conservative in Haiti, they're they're pretty progressive, um, that they're all pretty much on the same side and issuing statements regularly that echo each other, sometimes issuing joint statements. Um, the one uh, today we're talking on Tuesday, March 9th, uh, and today is the 30th, 38th anniversary of the visit by Pope John Paul II. And to save you doing the math, when was 38 years ago? That was 1983. So March 9th, 1983. So a year before uh, Duvalier fell and uh, John Paul, while he was there, he said, 
something must change here. Something must change here. So the statement today from the Roman Catholic religious communities in, in Haiti is the same. It says, something must change here. Um, the Pope, when he left, he said, tet uh, ansam, a Creole phrase, means everybody be of agreement. Get your heads together. Be of agreement. Get, your, get yourselves on side with each other. Um, and so that's the message today from the, um, the Haitian Religious Conference. Uh, the Jesuits have a, a brilliant statement, and it's out in English um, uh, that came out in January. And uh, so they, they all call for... Um, like calm, uh, but but a radical kind of calm. Um, the 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 earnest, determined, force, popular will, like in eighteen o four, that can bring the regime down, and allow for something else to come into place. Something else coming into place, you know. There's some negotiation about that but the but the proposals are like what i mentioned before some sort of interim step um and i think there are people that uh, academics lawyers judges um that have been uh, independent enough from the partisan process to be able to be reliable um governors in a period leading to new elections there's also calls for a new constitution. The constitution that they have right now um, was developed during the period right after Duvalier left, while the military were in were in power. Um, except that you know at different moments there were different factions in power, and and it's not an ideal constitution. I mean, it was negotiated um, by amongst different factions, but not all voices were heard even then. And uh, so there's a willingness to go for a new constitution. But Moise has a pro proposal for uh, the president. Moise has a proposal for a new constitution that doesn't reflect um, any uh, uh, dialogue or input from, um, from other sectors of the society besides his own, his own coterie. Uh, I think everyone agrees that the constitution from 1987 is too complicated, um, that Haiti needs a simpler system a single a single chamber and so on it needs to uh sort out the problem of uh you know the president is elected on one time frame and the congress is elected on a different time frame and and it, you know it just has led to confusion and boycotts and unwillingness to organize elections and then demands that there be elections and um so it's been so just keeping the electoral calendar going has been uh, very hard in Haiti all, all through these years. So, but but better that there be some sort of constitutional assembly, like like the ones held in uh, Venezuela or or Ecuador or Bolivia, that that, that where it's people uh, who who are elected to have the task of designing a new constitution, not something that's sort of top down the way we had it in Canada, for example. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and certainly, having a, a different political structure makes different things seem possible. Or or impossible, which is uh, an important thing. Um, maybe you could talk to us a little bit more too about the role of uh, religious actors and organizations and people in uh, Haitian politics. You know, it's astounding, of course, that Aristide as a liberation theologian was elected to power. I know uh, in the 90s, as the Soviet Union was collapsing, there were lots of questions about, you know, will liberation theology still be a thing? Um, and of course, theologians said yes, <laughs> but many pointed to Aristide as a, a sort of example that, um, you know, this, this form, this expression of Christianity is not going away. And uh, Aristide is not, not the only example in Haiti. There's lots and lots of other examples. So could you tell us a little bit about that? What's the, uh, the voice or the expression of something like liberation theology or a, a kind of left-wing Christianity on the ground in Haiti as it relates to these kinds of uh, efforts for change? Yeah, I, I think th this, this is uh, fascinating and complex as well. Um, so, like in 1989, uh, in 1991, that period when the uh, uh, the Soviet Union uh, collapsed and uh, and all that followed, um, but at the same at the same time, the the wars in Central America had been going on, and they they were coming to an end. And so, in 1989, in November, um, the, the there was a the 
the, the Salvadoran military facilitated an attack on the Jesuits uh, in in San Salvador um, and killed the six Jesuits in, who were in the house at the time and their housekeeper and her daughter. Um, and these were some of the leading liberation theologians in Latin America. Um, so it was an attack by the Salvadoran army, presumably in cahoots with the United States, um, at least with their uh, acquiescence, um, attacking liberation theology in a very direct way. So after that, in Latin America, people tended to, the liberation theologians themselves tended to talk about Latin American theology, Latin American theology instead of liberation theology. So like within a year of that, um, there's Aristide, liberation theologian um, running for president and uh, uh, socialism around the world in a kind of a crisis. Uh, uh, the Sandinistas had lost uh, their election um, earlier in 1990. And so I think a lot of us on the left were kind of feeling, uh, where's our hope going? <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what do we draw from uh, th this, this uh, disaster that's going on all over the place? And, uh, and our seed uh, emerged with a, a sign of hope. Um, so at so then at the same time as Aristide emerged as a sign of hope, the bishops in Haiti were almost all opposed to him. So there was one, uh, Willy Romulus, a uh, really brilliant guy in uh, uh, Jacques Mel, who uh, was much more open to a progressive church and church voice, but the, but the body of the, 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 of the bishops uh, was opposed to Aristide and, and made it known. So you jump ahead 30 years where we are now, um, What's remarkable now is that you've got the the all of the bishops, uh, the religious communities, uh, the popular church, uh, the Protestant churches, um, all coming together and you know in alliance with the the, the social movements um, that, that are not church based. So, um, uh, and so so if you're asking about where is the popular church expression or the liberation theology expression in Haiti? I think to some extent it's alive and well in these networks of community groups um, that are maybe not so formally tied to the church, but they're very much Christian expression. So I, I, I can remember many times going out into communities uh, where, you know, we were with a you know what what in the government of canada terms would be uh, an agricultural project you know it's funded by the government of canada and, and people would gather and they'd have the meeting they'd open with a, a a few songs and a prayer and uh and then you know go on with the meeting and, and go away and with another song and a prayer you know so the the religious the religious feeling is infused in um in the in the popular movement to, to a very high degree and then there's some some specific uh, expressions that come from Catholic social teaching that you hear all the time, like uh, social and solidarity economy. So that, that's a, a an expression that's used more in French or Spanish than in English, but it it comes it's it's kind of a a term that pulls together uh, what we do in credit unions and cooperatives. Um, community banks, uh, savings and loans, what have you, the really micro microcredit that's another expression of it so so when when people in Haiti talk about uh, social and solidarity economy they're picking up picking up a phrase that that is used in Catholic social teaching about how to um, make economic alternatives for the future how to and so like a group that I worked with a lot in Haiti is called the Carl Levesque Cultural Institute um, ICKL and the Karl Levesque was a Jesuit priest, uh, a Haitian Jesuit priest, who in the Duvalier years was in exile <coughs> in Montreal. Um, and after 1984, when Duvalier fell, he was getting ready to go back, and uh, he died suddenly. Uh, um, and uh, so the, the the people I know uh, created a movement in his in his memory, the Karl Levesque Cultural Institute. So it works with farmers in a variety of uh, these social and solidarity economy kinds of projects. Um, and the idea isn't just that people learn how to be, you know, uh, good, good at running a co-op or running a, a microcredit organization, um, 
you know, or supporting a community economy, but it's also that they develop leadership skills, um, that they understand the con conjunctural politics, like what is going on and what are, what's the correlation of forces right now? How do, how do we take what's happening now and, and do something with it? Um, what can we do with local, in local politics? So the same kind of strategy that's often used in the States of, of getting people into local politics to give them some experience and then get them onto another stage uh, later. Um, so that uh, I think is multiplied throughout um, dozens of uh, social movements, community organizations, uh, the Haitian-based uh, non-governmental organizations. Um, and um, and so, so when, I, when I think about liberation theology now, because of the, the risk to the people who are the proponents of liberation theology, by calling it that, they're, they're doing the action in a thousand ways um, that are deeply meaningful, but not always with the same label. Um, and, and, you know, well, you, we have eyes to discern uh, what's going on. And uh, so, th that's, so I think that these um, 30 or 40 years of work now uh, have given enough people a sense of uh, capacity to, um, to judge, to, well, to see what's going on, to make some evaluation or judge what's going on and then figure out what action they should take. And so the action is what we're seeing now, uh, the action in the streets, but the process that's led to it has been ongoing uh, for 30 and 40 years at least. It's always really fascinating to hear, um, you know, these stories about uh, the ways that, uh, you know, a religious imagination ends up working itself out politically like this. Such a cool thing. Well, now that we're kind of towards the end of the hour, uh, maybe we can turn again to the, uh, the, big, the big picture international relations angle to the story. So, you know, Joe Biden and Justin Trudeau have both been pretty silent on the unrest in Haiti, um, which I think is such a peculiar thing, uh, given their relative loudness about other countries. Um, the, the U.S. and Canada, you know, they're always basically working overtime to overthrow, you know, Maduro in Venezuela or, you know, in Bolivia. But like when it comes to Haiti, um, you know, the protesters have been in the streets for years uh, and they actively want a new a new administration, a new leader. Yet the U.S. and Canada have not uh, advocated for regime change or really said much of anything about it. So what do you think is really going on here with uh, with this angle of the story? Yeah, I, I think they're proceeding <clears throat> very cautiously, um, you know, uh, and so the Biden administration is it's. Uh, <laughs> they're they're big and complex, and so you know they, they've got some they've got some uh, hot button issues, uh, Iran, and uh, yeah, to to deal with, and then just reestablishing uh, trust with with uh, other countries um, in the post Trump years. So anyway, so but we know that there are people on the desks. There are there's a Haiti desk and there's like there's a Venezuela desk and there's a Honduras desk and, and they are up to no good. Um and I, I think one of the things that you know you can say, well, uh Biden will be different from Trump on 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 a whole range of issues, uh gender justice, racial justice, uh criminal law, possibly immigration. Uh but the foreign policy between Republican administrations and Dem Democrat administrations tends not to change a whole lot. Um, and there are kind of uh, career uh, people in the State Department that they don't change a whole lot, or even if they're out, they're in a think tank and then they come back in. Um, you know, so that and, and they're, they, they are always about uh, projecting uh, US power and influence. And why did they do that? It was mostly for the business sector. Um, so Canada and France uh, are kind of the two go-along uh, parties in this. Um, Trudeau and uh, the president of France uh, have a good uh, personal relationship um, and tend to tend to land in the same place on a lot of questions. Um, and they're, they're probably working hard to get on the good side of uh, Biden and not do too many things that will annoy him because they've got other interests. So where will Haiti play in all of that? Um, I have a fear that Haiti will be like Honduras, um, 
was in 2009 when uh, uh, Obama came in. Uh, the there was a progressive government in Honduras. Uh, there were already movements underway to overthrow the progressive government, uh, and Clinton either went along with uh, Hillary Clinton, either went along with it or, or aided and abetted it. She, she later apologized for her involvement in the coup in 2009. But I, but I have this, this feeling that there's this momentum inside the, um, the State Department that, uh, that what they've been doing for the past 10 years has been the right thing. Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton's, Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State kind of designed it. Uh, Trump didn't mess with it. Uh, that's probably going to be what they try to stick with. So, so they'll try to um, hold uh, uh, Moise in power for as long as they can. I mean, the the way out would be, uh, you know, that that they're finally convinced that there is a viable made in Haiti solution. The passerelle idea, that that gang, that that, um, that sort of bridge to something else, uh, an interim government that could get to uh elections uh without bringing in uh foreign military um because i think that's a that's uh that that that's a, a tactic that won't fly anymore um so the the more that the churches unions, civil society organizations social movements can stick together and continue to insist on um some step towards new elections and a new constitution um the the better chance of success and and you know if anybody in washington is listening then uh you know haitians i think are ready with the solution um the the hard part is uh breaking that alliance of the the six families and their few thousand wealthy enablers and the foreign investors and so um you know if the if the biden administration were really serious about change in Haiti or allowing serious change to happen in Haiti, uh, they would have to go after the, uh, the elites. And I don't know that they've got the political will to do that. Well, I doubt they've got the political will to do that. But that's, you know, when you look back over the last uh, 40 years of Haitian history, the best opportunity was um, supporting the Aristide government in um, 1990. That would have... Uh, it had they had they had that government received the support it needed, then um, it would have broken the oligarchy, um, and uh, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in now. We're in this mess. The oligarchy is still there. It somehow it has to be broken. And um, and uh, wow, and and uh, and they have to know that they're broken somehow. It's it's just this 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 can't. This cycle of uh, uh, of uh, brutality uh, just can't be allowed to continue. So, uh, some sort of hate made in Haiti, Haiti solution that the Biden government can get behind. I hope that works, but it may not be enough unless they can get that that elite, the oligarchy, to reach its share of power. Well, that uh, the real deep state, I guess I hear you saying, is not the one uh, trying to prevent Trump from uh, staying in power, but it's actually the one trying to keep people like Moise in power. That's exactly it. It's, it's those those people who who um, who hang on from one administration to the other that that do <laughs> kind of. I I don't think that they had the they didn't have the they didn't have the power to do all the things that Trump said they they did, but they do have that power over Haiti. <laughs> sure, sure. That's an important word, though, um, important thing to keep on thinking about. I'll be thinking about it for a while, I think, after this uh, episode. Um, Jim, it's it's great to have you on the show. Uh, we appreciate your voice here and what you're up to and the perspective that you bring. Um, I know that you have some other projects in the works. Is there anything you want to plug here at the end before we let you go? Well, I've, I've uh, relaunched um, uh, a blog called uh, Unwrapping <laughs> Development. So it's all that together, unwrappingdevelopment.ca for Canada. And uh, so I'm posting some thoughts. I haven't written about Haiti there yet, but, uh, but uh, you know, you you guys inspired me to do some thinking. So maybe I'll, I'll organize this into 600 words. <laughs> <So>. Yeah, <laughs> good. 
But the other, the, the other thing I, I should say is like what, the work, some of the work that I've been doing and will continue to do is uh, with the United Church around sanctions, um, the United Church and others around sanctions, particularly Venezuela and North Korea, uh, where we where we have partners uh, who are affected by by the sanctions. And then the other thing I've been working on with Kairos, the Canadian Ecumenical Justice Coalition, has been um, the whole issue around uh, equitable access to vaccines. Um, in the COVID era, you know, the, the rich countries have kind of grabbed everything and uh, uh, the rest of the world can wait. So uh, a new statement will come out tomorrow um, about about that. Um, well, thanks again, Jim. I'm sure this will not be the last time that we speak with you as the world continues to do its thing and hopefully uh, moves in some better direction somewhere, but we'll uh, always be grateful for your perspective uh, regardless. Thanks again for coming back to the Magnificast. Thanks. It's great to be with you. And uh, we'll keep pulling the powerful from their thrones. Thanks for listening to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Magnificast. You can also give us an iTunes review. That would be very cool of you to do. Give us a little iTunes review. Say something nice about us. Give us, give us five of those stars. Um, we need them all to fill the sky <laughs> with, I don't know. Um, the intro music is from Amaria Armstrong. The outro music is by The Illogical Spoon. And we'll see you next week for more of our extremely good Christian leftist content. I don't want to get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation, never get tired, never bored, don't worry, someday there'll be no damn between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up.